0: There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Hello everyone, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Titans of Food Service podcast. I appreciate all of you. To those who are watching on YouTube or listening along on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or however you get podcasts, I just wanna say thank you for listening and I hope, as I've mentioned on other episodes, that there's at least a nugget or two that you can take from every episode. I know myself, I have taken away so much from all of this and it really reassures that the food service industry is very close knit and we can rely on one another and there's so much knowledge to go around, you just have to ask. On this episode, I welcome Christine Bowen. She is the region president in the Pacific Northwest area for Cisco. She has had an incredible career. She's been able to, she started in the retail alcohol business and moved her way all the way up the Cisco ladder what, it's an incredible story, and there's a lot of pieces to take away from it that I think you're really going to enjoy. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Christine, welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. I'm so, one, grateful and two, excited that you are joining me here today. I have always admired you, and you've built an incredible career in food service, so thank you for coming on today.
1: Oh, thank you. My pleasure. And I was quite honored that you even asked me, so right back at of you. Course.
0: Back. Of course. Well, thank you. Well, why don't, we, why don't we go ahead and just jump right into it? Why don't we go back to the very beginning? How did you first get into food service?
1: Well, actually it was quite by accident. Um, At the time I was living in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, had two small children and a husband who's not the husband anymore. Um, (laughs) But uh, we were looking to relocate to the Portland, Oregon area. So I was coming out of working in the retail alcohol industry and did a lot of you know, shelf management, category management kind of stuff. And so I was really kind of aiming to get into that uh, as well in the Portland market. And it just so happened that there was an opening at Cisco as a marketing manager at Cisco Portland. And that was my first dip in the water with a food service. And. You know, transitioning from a retail background into food service was, you know, kind of a, a bit of a learning curve uh, initially, but it definitely has uh, turned out to be probably one of the best decisions I've made in my in my professional career.
0: Yeah, definitely. And how did how did you find Cisco or how did Cisco find you? How did that work?
1: Well, um, it was actually, again, a little bit of an accident because uh, Cisco had hired a uh, recruiting firm to try and help place somebody in that role, and the person from the agency was in one of those shared services office buildings and was right across the hall from my brother-in-law who was recruiting for you know, IT kind of positions. And these two recruiters started talking and she said something like, hey, I've got this position, I can't find candidates. And he said, hey, my sister-in-law has a marketing background and maybe she would be a good fit. So we got on the phone and we talked and lo and behold, uh, it started to kind of unfold. It it was a bit of a longer journey because, you know, I had to relocate uh, Mm -hmm. from Edmonton down to Portland. But, you know, that's how it all kind of came to be. It was, I, I, I would say, the stars were aligned because I like that just doesn't happen, right?
0: Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. And when you first started at Cisco, what were some of the roles that you had that they had you do?
1: Well, I was hired as a marketing manager, but at the time it was connected with merchandising, so I was handling. All chasing down all of the certificate of insurance and hold harmless agreements for every supplier we dealt with. Mm. I was handling all the samples that, you know, gone are the days that you know our salespeople can handle samples. But I was responsible for handling all of that. In addition to the regular marketing stuff, I was also doing all the billing for bids and uh, any kind of contract pricing. It was before that we had even our department now known as profit management. So I do recall in my very first couple of months, walking back into my boss at the time, and I put one hand on my hip and I said, I got a bone to pick with you. I was hired for marketing. I got this, this, and this, there are thorns on my side. And he said, right. oh, in due time, those will go away. Well, I accelerated that. And in six months, I was doing what I was hired to do, which is you know, really the fun stuff, marketing, promotions, yep. food shows, all that kind of stuff.
0: Were you in marketing when you were on the retail side as well, or was this marketing venture new for you?
1: No, I was also in in marketing on the retail side. And prior to being on that retail side, I worked for a independent television station and did marketing for them. So that was kind of you know a bit of my background. Uh, so marketing is transitional to a different type of business, but retail to food service was definitely a bigger leap than I expected it to be.
0: Sure, sure. That makes sense. And tell me about your journey within Cisco. So you started as the marketing manager at Cisco Portland. Where did you go from there?
1: Well, I was at Cisco Portland for the first 10 years of my career and um, continued to move up into different levels of leadership, all in marketing. And uh, then I met uh, Saul Adelsberg at one of our conferences and he at the time was working at Cisco Los Angeles and he said, hey, we need to talk. And so he kind of put it in front of me to come to Cisco LA as a vice president of marketing. And it was an honor. It, it was, you know, again, a, a move for, for me and my two daughters, but it was a well worth move because it, it really put me in the top uh, performing Cisco location from from the time and uh, certainly a much bigger Cisco location than where I came from. So I went right. there and I was uh, with Cisco Los Angeles for 10 years and you know, I, I could see sort of the future state writing on the wall, there wasn't gonna be a vice president of marketing at every Cisco location. And so I started gravitating to anything that I could learn and knowing that I needed to learn a broader scope of the business so that I was much more marketable in my future career at Cisco or anywhere else I went. So that's when I started getting more involved in, you know, negotiations and uh, projects, um, anything and everything that would come my way, I would say, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And that's kind of how it unfolded. And then when we um, opened Cisco Riverside, I, I took the leap and went into merchandising and that in itself was scary at first. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm not gonna sleep for months because not only were we opening a brand new company, you know, from tilting up concrete walls with hard hats on to actually seeing it come to life, I was working in a merchandising capacity which I hadn't ever been in before. And so thank goodness there were some really strong foundational people in that team that that helped along the way. Um, But I'll tell you, Nick, it was the best experience of my career. And the reason I say that is it really stretched me. It really put me in a, a kind of an uncomfortable place, but I learned so much and I learned more about myself knowing that I had a greater capacity than I would ever give, give myself credit for. So from that perspective, I would do it over again in a heartbeat because now I know what I didn't know. And so mm-hmm. therefore I would have I would be much more comfortable with the experience. And it was probably my greatest learning experience of my career.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. And it seems like you I mean you got in and you started moving up pretty quickly and you started to stretch yourself and whatnot. But in that process, was there any uh, setbacks or drawbacks or failures that you had, uh, that you had to overcome?
1: Well, um, I don't know that they would really be a setback. I, I feel like, you know, for, for each and every one of us, if we continue to just broaden your scope and, you know, look for new opportunities, uh, even within your own organization, it just, uh, helped me know what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. And you know that in itself, as much as merchandising was a great learning experience, I, I discovered after the fact it wasn't my favorite spot. <laughs> you know, so right. I wouldn't say it was something that I I wouldn't would unravel because it was a good sure. learning experience, but it certainly wasn't my favorite. I think the world of our merchandising teams. They have a very difficult job, and uh, they are way better at it than I was. So from that perspective. <laughs> I wouldn't turn back the clock and switch it, but it's certainly an area that uh, I look back fondly and say, "Wow, I'm glad I'm not doing that anymore."
0: Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. And I believe Cisco has has to have, what thousands of employees, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. So when you look around, you know, you're in a, a huge organization. What do you think it was that? that you did differently than others that pushed you forward in your career because i think there's a lot of people that want to move up but maybe they don't know how to
1: i think that one of the most important and pivotal things for me was having some mentors early in my career Mm. Um, arlene murphy who was the vice president of uh, sales for mccormick she was a fantastic mentor to me very early in my career i looked up to her she had you know really taken on a big role in a industry that wasn't really known for having female leaders at the time and i just completely admired her strength her directness her ability to still have that EQ side that's so necessary for survival in a in a, a professional environment. And she was definitely a person that I looked forward to every conversation. And I, and I would just, mm. you know, soak up as much as I could from her. Uh, and another person that was very pivotal in my career, as you can well imagine, would have been Saul Adelsberg. You mm-hmm. know, Saul not only was you know he instrumental in getting me to Southern California, but taking a chance on me when we opened Riverside. And there was a point in my career where I really didn't know that I wanted to stretch and move up further. Uh, and a big part of that was, you know my mom lived in Southern California, I was close to her, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to have to be relocated. And I knew if I was gonna continue and advance my career at Cisco, I had to be 100% relocatable. And I wasn't willing to be away from my mom at that point. As she was aging, right. I wanted to be there. And unfortunately, when she passed away, it was it was you know horrible as, as we lose a parent. But yeah, it was also um, a time when I, I went to Saul and I said, okay, I think I'm ready. And he said, well, it's about time. And the reason why <laughs> he said that was he was one that believed in me before I believed in myself. He was behind hmm. the scenes advocating for me before I even knew it. So he was a, you know, a big advocator, cheerleader, whatever you want to call it, basically, you know, working on my behalf to continue to help me elevate my career. And for that I'm forever grateful, but he was willing to give me stretch assignments to help me learn more about the business rather than staying in that lane. And I got to tell you, Anybody that wants to continue to grow, don't just drive down that lane that you think you're going to be in. (laughs) Shift gears, move to the left, move to the right, get off the freeway every now and again, get back on, have a different perspective. But you really, really need to stretch yourself and Mm -hmm. try new things. And that's going to not only get you noticed, but it's just building your portfolio for opportunity.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, living in Southern California um, and being in food service myself for about seven or eight years now, I've met Saul Adelsberg in passing and, you know, whether it be a food show or vendor fair Mm -hmm. or whatever it may be. And everybody always talks so highly of him, even down to the operator level, because I believe he was an MA at one point in his past and his relationships are always so strong. And it's it's incredible how many people that he has impacted, and the amount of just how much he's been able to, yeah, really uh, get himself out there, and and people view him so highly. So it's it's uh, quite incredible. So when you're at Cisco Riverside, you where did you go from there?
1: Um, I went back to Los Angeles as executive vice president, and you know I'm thankful that I didn't have to get relocated during that time. I was able to stay locally, and during that time, in the scheme of my education and continued learning, uh, Cisco had a executive vice president uh, development program. They have a different program now, but the one that I did was fantastic, and it was really a way to give you some of the skills that maybe you didn't have. You know, if as you came in in through marketing and merchandising, maybe you didn't understand the finance side or the operations side. So it gave you uh, the opportunity to dive in a little bit deeper. At that point, being at Los Angeles, it's fast paced, it's big, mm-hmm. and uh, you learn fast because if you don't, you're going to get left behind, right? Yes. And then uh, I got the call to come to Cisco Seattle. And uh, that was a, a great opportunity for me to get back to the Pacific Northwest. I love it here yes it rains a lot but um (laughs) it's okay i can deal with the rain um but it's uh it's been a great journey
0: that's awesome that is so cool and in in your current role today what does the job entail let's say on a monthly basis
1: well, um, since we went through regionalization, I now have the Pacific Northwest region. So that includes Cisco Seattle, Cisco Portland, and Cisco Spokane. And we have a cross dock facility in Juneau, Alaska uh, that services that Southeast Alaska area so in total i have about 200,000 square miles of geography that's under my responsibility and <laughs> 1200 uh people that roll up into the pacific northwest region wow. so it's 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 big and you know um unlike some of my counterparts that have two locations and they're 70 miles apart you know they can come together for meetings it just doesn't happen in my region because we're so spread out so I'm on the road um, every other week. Like tomorrow, I'm headed to Portland for the rest of the week. And then I'll spend time um, mostly with our operations team. I've learned a lot about operations over the course of you know hiring and the pandemic and training mm-hmm. and retention and all that good stuff. But it's fascinating. To me, that side of the business is just completely fascinating. And uh, so I'll spend time in operations and then I spend time... Occasionally, out with a you know key customer or with one of our district sales managers or director of local sales, and I'll be back and I'll be in Seattle for a couple of days, and then I'll head to Spokane, and then I come back, and then I'll be in Seattle, and then I go back to Portland. So I do this little you know triangular track, if you will. I'm on a plane a lot, but it's yep. okay.
0: Yeah, you know, I guess once you get when you travel more, you probably just get used to it.
1: Yeah, and they're short flights, so it's not that big a deal.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I've never been to Alaska, but I imagine that's probably not too far of a flight as well.
1: Uh, it's about, I want to say it's like two and a half hours. Oh, okay. It's its not that bad. Um, it's the only way you can get there is by plane or by boat. There's not a Definitely. connecting highway to get to Juneau.
0: Mm, gotcha. I remember back, what was it probably 20... Fifteen or 2016, my dad and I, we had just started our company and we would come and visit you ever so Mm -hmm. often. And we'd present whatever products we had at that time. You know, for us, it was slow, slow to go uh, in the beginning, but I think that's like any new business. And I remember when we'd have a meeting, we'd present whatever items we had to present. And at the end, you had a piece of paper, and you wrote down all of your notes, and you got a copy, and we got a copy, and then we we, we signed it as well. It was like these are the follow up, you know, main yeah. points to follow up. Is that something you still do, or or? And where did you learn how to do that?
1: Well, I'll tell you, it seems a little archaic to have a three part NCR form, right? I mean, we just right. don't do that anymore, and and I don't I don't use it anymore. However, the reason I started using it was you know, without revealing names. Um, I had a meeting uh, one time and the supplier across the table said, you know, the last time we were here, which was six months ago, you know, there was a a big conversion uh, that was going to take place and we paid and it didn't take place. And I was just completely... I'm embarrassed, you know, that the, the, the other colleagues at the table hadn't done what they said they were going to do. And I thought, I don't ever want to be in a predicament that we didn't follow through on our commitment. So that's how that kind of came to be. And I found it to be quite functional for, for all parties involved. And, you know, it's like, hey, if, if I captured that wrong, I it's your opportunity to make that correction and vice versa. And, mm-hmm. you know, when we sign off on it, that copy didn't leave my desk until we checked every box and said we fulfilled our commitment to you. Because to me, fulfilling those commitments was building trust, and yeah. we needed to have a trusting relationship as you know partners in the business. And you know, if you don't have that trust, you don't go very far.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I I, I mean, being on the receiving end of it, I felt I was like one. I, I knew, um, I have a perfectionist kind of mind. So I was like, I have to fill this out. I have to make sure I follow up. But then on the other side, I was like, I feel like she really cares about us, you know, especially when we're starting out, I was like, man, she just really cares about our business and this is important to her. So it's, it's definitely, you know, it's equally as important to me. So I've never in all of the seven or eight years that I've made calls on operators or distributors. I've never seen somebody else do that. So, uh, the process definitely works and it keeps everybody I, th- I would imagine on task and, you know, accountable.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: In your current role right now, what are some of the goals that you are pursuing?
1: You know, a big part of it is is stability, right? You know, coming out of the pandemic over the last few years and having the ups and downs of the start and stop of business, the restrictions in the restaurant industry, uh, and just rebuilding your team, in particular mm-hmm. in the operations side—the drivers and order selectors, which are very vital to success of the business—that to me is is the probably the number one priority: is stability. Uh, which I'm happy to say that we are in a stable position in the Pacific Northwest there were times where it was a little rocky um, yes. but we're we're on our feet and we're we're really uh, grabbing market share and we're delivering to customers and you know we're we're leading in in this market which is fantastic um, you know another one of my big goals is just to continue to advocate and mentor others because one of the biggest yeah. things that I'm about and and hope to leave as a legacy when I leave the food service industry is that I too can look back and see how many people I have influenced or touched in advancing their career. And I make that a a very top priority for the folks in in my organization just within the Pacific Northwest, but even beyond that. Uh, I'm a big, big supporter of mentorship. However, I will say that if someone reaches out to me and wants me to mentor them, they own that relationship, right? So mm. I, I, I'm very upfront with them. I said, I'm gonna be giving of my time, but you gotta come prepared and you gotta, you gotta own scheduling the appointments and you know blocking out the time for the two of us to have those conversations. Because if somebody isn't invested in it, then they don't get anything out of it. And so that's That's why I kind of turn it on that person to say, you own it.
0: I love that. I love that. You mentioned when you're at down here in Southern California with Saul that he believed in you well before you even maybe knew of it. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have people like that yourself that you see maybe they're leaders now? They don't have leadership roles, but they're leaders that are on their way to move up and you're advocating for them.
1: Oh absolutely. And there are folks and and this just recently happened in our region where our very longtime uh, VP of merchandising retired and so we're you know on the search for another candidate and there are definitely some highly qualified people, but there was you know one person in particular that I believed is, kind of you know, similar in the way I was, had always stayed in their lane and yet has so much more capacity and so much ability to learn and contribute and super high EQ. And I, I went to her and I said, why aren't you applying for this role? And she kind of looked at me like, are you kidding me? Like what, me? And I said, right. yes. And lo and behold, um, interviewed, went through the whole process and ended up getting the role and she wouldn't have even done it had I not just gone in and really kind of pushed her to think about it differently. And so that, you know, that's just an example, but there, you know, there's many, and I think you just have to look at, you know, the core of that person and do they have, you know, the foundation of uh, going places and, and being a bigger contributor. And I think, you know, some of the secret sauce in that is is definitely having that high EQ because You gotta Mm. be empathetic, you gotta be caring. Gone are the days where you can leave with a heavy hammer. Uh, So I think it's really important that each of us take responsibility to develop that next generation of food service leaders.
0: When you started at Cisco uh, as the region president up in the Pacific Northwest, did you begin that job pre-pandemic or post-pandemic?
1: Pre-pandemic, I started here in July of 2018. Ah. So it had like a year and a half maybe before the pandemic.
0: Yeah. I, I'm curious, how did you... I could speak for California where I'm at, you know, a lot of things were... Uh, economically it was very difficult because a lot of our customers, their doors were shuttered. What was it like for you na- navigating that with the position that you have?
1: You know, I it is... Um, one of those things that a lot of folks that have been around for a long time miss the autonomy, right? Miss the Mm -hmm. ability to make their own decisions. And I got to tell you, at that juncture, I am so thankful that there were other people in our uh, corporation that were coming together and providing very scripted direction on what to do next. Because this is, this is, you know, areas that none of us had ever navigated through before. Oh, yeah. So each and every step was very thoughtful, you know, what we had to do with product, what we had to do with people, how did we approach the customers, how do we, you know, come and support customers through so many different sources. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, you know, as I look back, I, I say, Geez, Louise, I sure was thankful that those people were in those roles to make those tough decisions because that would have been really hard to do them independently, and you probably would have had right. hundreds of different outcomes across the organization versus one. And I, I believe that yep. that was what provided us some strength.
0: Ah, uh-huh, that that makes sense. Do you collaborate quite a bit with corporate or with other region presidents?
1: Oh, all the time. Um, you kind of have a, a circle of folks that you know you can pick up the phone and they're going to be there. Uh, Saul is one of them, but uh, there are many others. And we also have the support of our market team, which is fantastic. You know, I'm not going to be the HR expert and I know I can find an HR expert with our, our market team. Those kind of resources are invaluable. Um, many of them have been at, you know within their craft for a long time and they've probably seen everything more often than I'll ever see in different situations that can help guide us to the right decision.
0: That's, that's incredible. How do you view businesses different today than maybe when you started in 2018 and 2019, right before the pandemic, or is it getting back to how it used to be?
1: I still think we have a long way to go. You know, We saw, unfortunately, a lot of independent restaurants and even in some emerging chains, not survive the pandemic. And, you know, unfortunately, some of those small independents were the fabric of what made a city a foodie city. And um, so I think there's a little loss there. But what I have seen just over the last you know, six to eight months as we've exited out of the pandemic and started to see stability, is there are more unique flavor profiles and restaurants that are popping up that have kind of emerged into their own like I'm not going to be like everybody else I'm going to be unique and I'm going to do it my way those are the kind of restaurants right now that I think have got that groundswell of you know something new and different and people are following them and I think a lot has been learned in during the pandemic that people you know, are utilizing all of these delivery services, delivery apps, uh, more so than they ever would have. Their their takeout and to-go business has stayed strong, even though the pandemic is behind us. That in itself has changed the way the operator is approaching scheduling and uh, food costs because there's so many more pieces that come with, you know, takeout packaging and such. So I think that there's a lot that we're still, you know maneuvering through but i'd say that i have seen the fabric of the foundation of of the city foodies that has really changed
0: i like that i like that do you do you see new like entrepreneur restaurant tours entering the space or is it more maybe chains that are increasing their number of units or what does that look like i think it's like? a
1: little bit of both a little bit of okay. both i think some of those emerging chains that you know, did well during the pandemic, especially if they were, you know, quick serve or something along that line, they're continuing to grow. But what I have seen in the independent restaurant tours is those that survived or those that are entering into this space now um, have a different strength than they used to. This is that time of year, that January, February, where some of them that survived the holidays or, you know, or barely survived the holidays are thinking about, I just don't want to do this anymore. and and we didn't see that this year. This year, it's been relatively smooth, um, not the ups and downs in in the industry. Um, we're off season right now in this market. as you can well imagine, it's you know cloudy mm-hmm. and dreary and not everybody goes out. but we don't hunker down and hibernate. <laughs> but um, it's just a, it's just different. And I think that there's a smarter operator today than there was pre-pandemic because they've survived it.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Now, if you had, let's say, you had the attention of the whole food service industry, or at least for your area, what would you say?
1: Gosh, that's a great question, Nick. Um, I'd say, you know, hang in there, continue to be innovative, continue to market yourself. You've got to get that leading edge. Um, continue to incent your your wait staff or your uh, staff in general to continue to talk to the folks that walk in the door to dine there, ask them to do a Yelp review, ask them to do anything, Mm -hmm. you know, promote social media through Instagram and and Twitter and anything like that so that they can continue to uh, kind of get a stake or a presence in in the market. I think, you know, they have to be creative to capture the attention of this newer generation, Uh, you included, Nick. Um, There's a different approach to to those of the millennial stage. Um, they wanna be entertained. They want to have a gathering place, not necessarily a, a quick in and out kind of thing. It's gotta be hip, it's gotta be good uh, environment. So the, everyone has to get a little bit more creative in the way they approach the business. And and I think one of the things too is to make sure that you're building a trusting partnership with all of your distributor partners, those that you can trust, those that you can rely on and uh, lean on when when you need something. Um, We shouldn't be just a, you know, a grocery company that delivers the groceries to the back of the door. We have to be the consultant for the restaurant operator and and especially those independent restaurant operators. They don't have, you know, a HR department or a marketing department like the bigger brands. And so we have to be that for them. And so we continuously retool uh, what we can bring to the customer and make sure that we're taking care of them in every which way.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I love the I love the food service industry, and one of the reasons is that it is so diverse, and there's so many different walks of life that we get to deal with, and uh, it's really cool to see different cultures play out within within the you know within the U.S. And I've made a lot of great friends and connections throughout the years of all different kinds of backgrounds, and I, I really I have a lot to thank for to food service and. I think it also provides a lot of opportunities for a lot of different different walks of life as well whether you want to be uh, on the operator side or a broker side or distributor side whatever it may be there's there's a lot of opportunity out there
1: absolutely
0: what would your advice be to a smart driven person who's just beginning in food service that would want to one day move up and be the president of a distributor or be the the, the vice president of merchandising, what what advice would you give to those people?
1: Well, I definitely say, you know, just to look at every opportunity as an educational opportunity to continue to grow. I think I said it earlier about, you know, don't stay in your lane. You know, I wish I would have pushed myself sooner in my career uh, to kind of look beyond what I thought was, you know, my lane of marketing. But I'd say, you know, anybody could, continue to accelerate their career. They have to have, you know, personal drive. They have to be willing to learn. They have to be willing to listen. And I think that that's, you know, one of my mottos is that I I live by in in my style is to listen, learn, leverage, and lead. And lead Mm -hmm. is last. Because if you listen to the folks around you and you learn, You're expanding your ability to succeed. But if you leverage the right people around you, because sometimes you might have great people, but they're in the wrong seats. So make Mm -hmm. sure that they're in the right seat and you're leveraging the power of each individual person and then you lead. In that order, I feel sets you up for success because you're also getting the buy-in from the people around you that you need to lean on yourself. Um, so anybody could, you know, join into a food service career, whether they're on the supplier, distributor, or broker side, or even as an operator, and continue to advance their career if they really, really want to do it. Um, but they have to be open to the possibilities, and those possibilities come in every learning opportunity.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I um, I, I like that. The the four Ls. I wrote that down: listen, leverage, learn, and then lead. That is very important. I, I feel like it out of those four right now, I'm I'm big into the the learning one. I've been consuming a lot of different books and podcasts. And I feel like it's really allowed me to take a step back a little bit in my business and and learn. I when I came into the business, I had my dad as as my mentor. Um, but I really didn't have any experience in food service. I didn't even I had never even held a full-time job. Uh, prior to getting <laughs> into the brokerage business, so I'm, I'm going through the phase of I know I know all four. You know, we're constantly going through all four phases, but but the learning one really sticks out to me because I feel like in the last year, really since the the pandemic, and maybe you feel this as as well. I've it, it has been it has shortened the learning curve. I've learned so much so fast, uh, not just about food service, but just about business in general and how to make tough decisions. How do you as you mentioned you put the right people in the right seats and uh, you know business is not easy when you look back since the pandemic is there any new belief or behavior or habit that is most improved your life whether it's personal or professional
1: well i'll tell you yes there is and one of the things is you know like you i'm i think I'm a perfectionist. I don't always get it right, but I think I'm a perfectionist. (laughs) And um, I needed quickly to learn that I was not going to be a perfectionist in the pandemic, that there were going to be things that were outside of my control. And once I came to that realization, which is pretty early into the pandemic, I had to learn how to let things go. I mean, not to the point of, you know, creating little You know dust storms and disasters behind you but just to the point where you can't control everything and the things that you can't control you just got to let it go and that in itself was quite freeing to me it really kind of brought my stress level down because i was not trying to be the perfectionist and control every situation or every conversation or every decision because there wasn't any possibility to do that so that to me was probably my biggest takeaway.
0: I like that, and I like that kind of almost. I don't know if this would be the right way to say, it, but like depersonalizing things. You know, there's the situation yeah. at hand, and you have to maybe make decisions or make pivots or whatever it may be. But it's not necessarily you causing the problem. You just have to react to it so that yeah. you know you can to move the ship in the right direction.
1: And you know, to be um, also really clear about that, Nick, is that. A lot of times, you know, I'm, I'm being perceived as the steady leader, right? Mm-hmm. The people in, in my organization are looking to me, watching me. And this isn't any organization. It's not unique to me. Um, they're always watching kind of the leader. What is the leader going to say or what is the leader going to do? And if we're in panic or chaos or we've got COVID outbreaks or we've got, you know, layoffs or something along those lines that were happening very early in the pandemic, they're looking to you right and they're watching what you're doing so i had to kind of just be that steady calming voice in the in the massive storm we were in and sure. that too kind of helped me take it down a notch from an emotional standpoint like you had to just kind of keep it keep it steady And that became a little bit more of how I've been approaching business now because although I can still, you know, have my moments of being slightly emotional, (laughs) it it really was the steadiness that I think got me through it, but it also got my team through it.
0: Yes, that makes sense. So you started in the retail alcohol world and now Mm -hmm. you become the region president for Cisco. What's next?
1: Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> you know, I've said <laughs> this to family and friends along the way. You know, people will ask me, so when are you going to retire? And I'm like, wait, wait, you're asking me? Like, right. um, <laughs> you know, i i I think that for me, I need to get some hobbies because ah. I can't even imagine retiring and going from, you know, full speed ahead like this to now what am I gonna do with myself? It's 10 o'clock in the morning, and I don't have a plan. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so I've, I've got to work on that and uh, I'm gonna work hard on that mm-hmm. so that you know when the time comes that I choose to exit gracefully out of the food service industry, I've got things mm-hmm. that are going to fill my plate. And I do see myself at, at some point getting involved in a nonprofit, Uh, Mm. I don't know why, but it's always been sort of a passion of mine to maybe be part of a children's hospital or a children's hospital foundation or something like that, where I can bring joy to those in need and uh, be that steadiness, that calmness um, that I think I can do.
0: I love that. I love that. When you look back on your career, I know you kind of mentioned this a little bit or hit on a little bit. When you look back on your career, when you're all said and done way in the future, what do you want to be remembered for?
1: I definitely uh, wanna be remembered for somebody who cared deeply about the people in our organization and that leads uh, with empathy, leads with grace, and also continues to advocate and mentor those to help them elevate their career. I think we all have an obligation to continue to develop those people in our organization to be those next level of leaders because we're not all going to be here forever. And uh, Mm -hmm. we need to make sure that we're getting people ready to take on those uh, next steps uh, to to fill those seats. And that would be what I would want to be known for is to continue to do that good work.
0: I love that. Well, Christine, I want to say thank you so much for joining me here on the tights of food service podcast, I really enjoyed our conversation. And every time I finish one of these, I always reflect back. And I think there's, I just learned so much in, in the time, in our discussion. And it's also great to see the world. I, I, I view the world through one lens, you know, my own lens, and it's great to hear other people's viewpoints of the food service industry and success. So just thank you so much for coming on and joining me. I I really had a good time and and I learned a whole heck of a lot. So thank you.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. And thanks for the opportunity, Nick. And you know, if there's ever a time where you want to just give me a call and we can talk further, I love hearing your perspective and watching you with your continued success.
0: That sounds good to me. Thank you so much, Christine.
1: You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Bye.